Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The conversation you're about to hear with Mark Unetti was recorded on June 2nd. The decision was made to hold off on publishing it until our player evaluation series was done and we were a bit closer to the draft in case any landscape-altering deals happened. A lot of what we talked with Mark about is also covered in his recent appearance on Kings of the Podcast, but having listened to both, I believe there's value in hearing both. Mark is, as always, incredibly forthcoming, and the different approaches to some admittedly very similar questions have ultimately yielded some very different answers. Hope you enjoy. Joining us now, Mark Unetti. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm well. How are you guys? Excellent. And featuring Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing great. Excited for this chat. So, Mark, we want to talk about the draft, obviously. Um, We've had you on in years past. But before we get into it, there's a little bit of house cleaning, housekeeping. I don't know what the expression is. But uh, we're restructuring, we being the Kings, restructuring the goaltending department. Bill Ranford has been promoted, named the director of the goaltending department, and Mike Matt, excuse me, Matt Miller, uh, who was previously the goaltending coach of the Ontario Reign, has been named North American goaltending scout. Mm-hmm. My question is, since you're the director of amateur scouting for the LA Kings, uh, does the goaltending department have overlap with the scouting department, or is that its own entity, like? If somebody finds a 17 or 18 year old goalie that they really, really love, are are they reporting that to you or to Bill? No, everything gets reported to me, but um, there's overlap. Uh, the the goaltending the goaltending department has uh, many facets, right? Uh, you have you have Matt Miller. Uh, he's going to be predominantly focused on the pro side of things. Okay, uh, you know NHL and some AHL. Uh, I, we haven't quite decided the mix on that yet, but, uh, that's his, uh, main, 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 uh, main area. Uh, Billy and I have been talking about this for years, Bill. This is something Billy had thought of and, um, had been working for quite a while. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that finally, you know, with the work Billy's done and the, the many iterations of it, it's, uh, it's finally ready for prime time, if, if you will, um, and it coincides with the timing that worked for Billy as well. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, moving parts, mitigating factors, and the timing of it works really well now, both in terms of the structure of it and both in terms of where Billy is, uh, you know, professionally, personally. So uh, it's more, I mean, Billy and I have been doing this for, for years. Um, we got to know each other for a 
you know, where we bounced stuff off each other for probably three or four years. But uh, and then more scouting impact would have come in there. Like Billy and I went to, uh, you know, we would have scouted Bartasak together. We watched him practice. We watched him play. Uh, the goalie coaches and the goalie scout. Uh, I guess there were no really goalie scouts except Adam Brown uh, recently. They uh, we meet with them regularly. Um, they explain how they see things. You know, they watch the game differently than the scout does. Uh, they see things, whether they might see things a scout might miss. Uh, they may see things a scout sees and see it differently or prioritize it differently or break it down deeper. Um, but the goalie coaches, the goalie scouts, like Billy in particular, has had impact on our list going back a long time. I mean, I, I, I would say a minimum of 10 years, uh, could be 12 years. So, uh, none of the goalies get on our draft list, um, our final draft list, without uh, discussing it with the goalie guys. Uh, sometimes that's in the form of a meeting with the whole scouting staff. Sometimes it's one or two scouts, and sometimes it's just me with uh, with Billy and the, uh, you know, Matt, and then and this year Adam. So it's more, uh, it's more the culmination of that, and it'll be structured. Uh, everybody will have clear delineation in their jobs and their expectations and their responsibilities rather than, um, I wouldn't say nebulous, but less structured for sure in the past, in the past years. And with Billy at the head of it, um, it's, you know, it'll be able to be molded in, in, in what he deems important. So we're definitely going to come back to goaltending a little bit later, but <clears throat> first things first. It's the second year in a row that you've had a first round pick uh, taken out of the uh, the golf bag late in the season. Last year was much closer to the draft. This year was at the trade deadline. From a broad perspective, how does that change the scouting department's timeline when at the trade deadline you find out, yeah, we're trading away the first round pick this year? Well, if anything, it was easier this year than it was last year. Uh, last year came... Uh, you know, uh, two months, probably you know, without looking at the calendar, probably it was two month difference. Uh, we were this year, we were able to, uh, we don't stop work on the first round because you just never know what could happen. I mean, is it likely we'll have a first round pick this year? No, it's extraordinarily unlikely, but uh, you want to be prepared. You know, it doesn't make sense to not be prepared. Well, at the same time, you have to uh, allocate your resources uh, intelligently. You know, there's a finite amount of time we can scout there's a finite amount of resources we can look at and work we can get done so um you know i in in, in the meetings with nelson and 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 rob uh, i knew this was not only a probability i mean you know this was a likely likely scenario so we had started to transition towards uh you know focusing more on the second round pick third round pick and focusing less on the first round pick and then once the trade did happen uh we we really transitioned away from first round pick guys were still seeing them live, but you weren't going to see them. So, um, you know, as I said, w without giving away, like if you had, if we had a higher pick, uh, they would have still seen Fantilli play, but they wouldn't have gone to see him on purpose. So if Michigan was playing, uh, you know, uh, Wisconsin was Strammel there, they'd still go to the game and, and write on Fantilli, but they wouldn't just go, you know, I'm using them as an example because I don't want to give away who we would have been looking at in the 20s. Um, so, so they still watch them, and again, we still have the benefit of other medium uh, to do reports. But we would have said, uh, if you take the 100 percent of the time that was going to be spent on the first round, we'd probably cut it down to 25 percent. Knowing 
that Connor Bedard's not going to be there when the Kings pick. You still, I'm sure, have a list, right? And that list does start at one and goes all the way down. Some drafts, it feels like the difference between 20 and 60 is like nothing. And some drafts, I feel like it feels like it's the world. Do you still kind of look at it that way of like the guy that we think is the 20th best player on our list without asking you about names could still be there at 50 because it's one of those years? And does that kind of factor in a little bit as well? That has happened before. Uh, let's say 15 years of drafting. Um, one, two, two times for sure off the top of my head, someone in our top 21 has been there. And I want to say three times, but I'd have to verify because he could have been in that 20 to 25 sweet spot. So let's say three times in the 15 years, uh, someone has been there. Um, but again, without giving it away, uh, we're picking 54, I think, right now. I think that's what it is. And some of those picks weren't – they were in the 50 ballpark, but they weren't 50. Uh, they they were before it. So it's extremely unlikely. Um, not impossible, but extremely unlikely. I think the more likely – all except for all except for three drafts, I believe, someone uh, from, let's say, 30, 30 to 36 has fallen. But 20, 20 becomes – 20 becomes much less likely and, and really, really not possible. But, but someone from, someone from high on our list should fall. I mean, again, you hear the stupid cliches every idiot scout director says every year. Um, can't believe he fell for us. God, we're so lucky. Um, you know, this, we never, you know, we didn't envision this scenario happen. They're all liars. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a soundbite. I, I would say more often than not, I expect someone to fall and expect, someone higher on our list to be available to us lower. And I expect that multiple times, but we just, you know, as I said, I shouldn't say idiot scouting directors, but I can, since I included myself in that, I think it's okay to say. Let's talk about goaltending then, uh, because the organization is particularly thin uh, in the prospect pool at the goaltending position. So if you have a situation like that, where it's such a specific position, it's not like a skater where, you know, on defense, there's left shot, right shot, stay at home, you know, puck rushing, whatever, forwards. There's a million different kinds of forwards. Goaltenders are goaltenders. I know they are delicate snowflakes, all of them perfectly unique in their own way, but you need you need a handful of goalies and they need to be able to play. Does that create a priority that you wouldn't ordinarily pay as much attention to if it was a specific position among the skaters? Yes, it does. Um... Yeah, it certainly does. The thing is, you've got to make sure that you balance that priority with intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so again, we've been in various stages of goaltending. Um, so here, here's two guys. Here's, um, we were on, we were on Sergei Bobrovsky really early. Uh, we offered him a free agent contract, a max free agent contract. This is way back when he was, before he was in the league. Um, they politely told us to, uh, to go pound sand. Um, you know, in our talks with the agent, why would we come to you? You know, you have Quick, you have Bernier. Actually, back then, I think Bernier was actually, they were Bernier and Quick is what I think they said. But it didn't make sense from the come there. Then you fast forward a couple of years, and uh, Rutu and I were in Europe following Frederick Anderson around. And I think he had two or three games we were at. He, he, he might have he cleaned sheeted him. He might have three shutouts in a row. And uh, 
we put him very, very high on our draft list. And when you do your interviews with the player and, and you talk to him, you do your due diligence with the agent. Um, he was very clear that if the LA Kings drafted him, he would just stay in Sweden. And he says, if you don't believe me, look what I did two years ago when Carolina drafted him with Cam Ward and he didn't show up. He didn't report and he goes back into the draft. So, um, we've been blessed, uh, with, you know, what do you, what do you, we start with Bernier, Quick, Jones, um, and then Cal Peterson. Uh, you know, you know, I know he had his struggles this year, but until this year, uh, goalies were scared of him. Uh, you know, we, uh, we traded for Portillo and then we were talking to another fairly coveted free agent goaltender. Uh, and as soon as we, you know, we were his number one, number two team. We were in the top two. As soon as we traded for Portillo, um, we're out, we're out of the running. Hmm. So it's, it's, you know, when you have goaltending depth like we've had, it's hard to, to get guys. Now you take that, like, do you want to allocate picks towards goaltenders when there's no, uh, the famous, the, 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 I guess the buzzword now is runway when there's no runway for them. Um, so we have done an early, I, I, it, you know, I said, and then you get the percentage rate of goaltenders hitting versus, you know, versus positional players and the, and especially in the top four rounds, um, your opportunity cost is, is, your opportunity cost if you take a goal, you're, you're leaving a lot on the table. So you have to balance all those things with drafting a goalie, uh, early. And then now you factor in, we don't have a first round pick. So if you take a goalie with our first, second round pick, you're putting a low percentage into a pick and now it's first and second. And now you're banking on the third round pick or, or vice versa. So, um, if we thought there was a goalie who stood out, um, we would certainly consider him with a second or a third round pick in this year's draft. Uh, I won't say if we do think there are, but um, as I said, it's, you know, if I go back with Dean, um, it's simple. Don't draft goalies. Uh, we, we did it once. It didn't work out real well. Um, and he was against it at the time anyway. Uh, so the, the, the mission statement was, if you want to draft a goal, you got to do it later in the fourth round. Um, I won't say what our mission statement with is Rob because it's still in effect. Um, saying over oh, well, that was Dean doesn't matter. Teams can listen or, or whatever. And it, it's a different philosophy now. Um, but we were specifically told, uh, not to prioritize goalies in the draft and we didn't. But then what happens is, um, you trade a Martin Jones and you have an injury and another guy leaves and you got one goaltender in your system. Uh, which happened when we had to fill it with, uh, with Cal and then some band-aids with Scrivens and Budai and, uh, uh, Bishop, et cetera. So, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of in that spot now where, you know, we filled it with a, a really high prospect in Portillo. Um, very fortunate, good, good insight and in, in foresight and, and, in, uh, signing Copley. Uh, but, you know, obviously he exceeded all the expectations, but still got him. Um, and then, you know, you, you've got whether Corpusalo is, is back in the fold or, or someone else or we go there. It's, you know, as I said, it's important to draft a goalie, but if we hit a home run and draft the best goalie in this draft, he doesn't help us for five years. I want to follow up on Portillo because he's not a 23 draft pick, but he did have a value in the 23 draft, which was a third round pick. There's obviously some opportunity costs there. When you look at acquiring him, is this a guy who you look at with scouting reports dating back to when he was a draft pick because you had those scouts and when they're 
when you have your guys out scouting other players, are you still keeping a book on a player like that, knowing, okay, maybe three years, he does become available, similar to like a Leas Anderson situation or, or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, we, we so obviously we scouted Portillo in his draft year and we scouted him uh, after his draft year. Uh, we have people in the organization that, that look specifically at drafted prospects. And then our scouts uh, on both sides of the, you know, the amateur or the pro uh, are still looking at those guys and writing reports. So uh, we had reports to look at uh, dating back as early as draft year minus one for him. Uh, and as recent as, as recent as this past year before, um, before we traded for him. And then once it be, you know, once it becomes obvious, I mean, there were, there were three free agents, three free agents and, you know what? It was actually an equal split. There were three free agents and three drafted prospects that we were looking at, six in total. Uh, Portillo and one other goalie were at the top of that list. Um, uh, we, we looked at the scouting reports in the past. We looked at the most recent ones. Uh, we went back and watched video just to verify the scouting reports because some of the guys that did them aren't on staff anymore. Um, and then we brought, uh, you know, the goaltending guys in. Uh, cause we had identified that these are the six for them. And then they start breaking them down. Technically, they start breaking them down, uh, you know, uh, some live views, some video views. And then we, uh, got into discussions and I said two goalies rose to the top. Portillo was one of them. And, uh, the deal for Portillo was the, was the best deal. And, uh, that's how he's, that's how he's on the team. In the year that Eric Portillo was drafted, the LA Kings also took a goaltender in the third round. Um, Lukas Parikh, who I believe just departed the franchise uh, the other day, but he was taken, I don't know, 20 picks later. Um, if Portillo, if you can tell us where where Portillo fell on the Kings list for that draft year. I can tell you where he should have fallen. He should have fallen ahead of Parikh. Well, he did um, by quite a lot. Yeah, uh, um, I'm not telling you where he was on our list. All right. Um, if Portillo and if Portillo and Parrick were still there together, no, I'm just, uh, no, I, I can't say where he was on the list. Um, uh, they would have been in, they would have been in similar uh, in similar area codes. I, I I won't say who was first or who was second, or even if there was another goalie uh, in that group ahead of them. But they would have been in. I, I can give you this: they would have been in similar area codes on our list. Well, Portillo was taken 67th and uh, Parikh was taken 87th. So that's, yep. that's the same. You're saying there would have been, yeah, there would have been similar. There would have been, some, and there, there, there was, I you know what I'll tell you. There was one other goalie there too. I won't tell you who was first, second, or third. All right. Uh, there's a phrase that I've stumbled onto over the last week or two, and I've, I really liked it when I saw it. I don't know that Benjamin Franklin said it, but everything I've found says that he said it. So I'm choosing to believe that he said it. Uh, and the phrase is the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Um, and I like that. I like that a lot, yeah. suggesting that it's better to better to take the hit on paying for quality now than live forever with poor quality and get the momentary thrill of saving wow. a, a buck or two. In scouting, that's got to be a fairly, uh, fairly valuable, uh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, lesson. Yeah, um, you know, uh, immediacy falls more on the on the pro side of things, uh, the free agent side, uh, the pro side. That's where um, short term can 
that's where you can get tricked with recency bias, short term, uh, short term pleasure for, you know, uh, instead of long term pain or long term pleasure. Um, with the amateur staff, it's, it's harder to, it's harder to, to, to implement in that phrase because, uh, I mean, well, here, I mean, look at the first round. Um, it's, it's funny because you, you know, everybody thinks the first rounder should play immediately and score immediately. Um, once you get outside the top 10, uh, it's, uh, and once you get out to top five, uh, top five, it's, uh, it pushes out to three years before they get to your team and four to five years, four years before they contribute. Once you get outside the top 10 and then specifically out the top, so top 15, it's five years before they make your team and six years before they contribute and then further down the line. So, uh, all of our, you know, all of our, you know, unless you, unless you make the mistake we made way, 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 way back of trying to fill an immediate, trying to fill an organizational need immediately with the draft. Um, I think we learned from that. Uh, it's just not something we do anymore. Is that what you were getting at? Or am I well, way off? The the reason it popped up in my head is the notion of a goaltender, right? Like if you draft yeah. a goalie just because you need a goalie, but you draft the wrong goalie or a goalie that isn't going to be any good, you can pat yourself on the back for six months and say, hey, we filled a shallow spot in the depth chart, but you've really just created a longer period of time where you don't have anything in the in that position. Well, no, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's. Well, how about this? If you draft the right goalie, chances are he ain't playing for you. That's it. And that's if you draft the no no seriously if you draft the right goalie look at the NHL as I said you know I'll let you guys do some work going to all your work for you um, but look at the uh, look at the amount of goalies drafted that are playing for teams that did not draft them you know it's you know it's it's crazy how many goalies are playing in the NHL for other teams than than, than were drafted by them so is, even I'm gonna if hop you make in the right real one, quick though so I'm going to jump in real quick is is that a cap space thing because I remember I don't know it was probably ten years ago I sat down one day and was like. What are the things that every cup winner has? And the thing I found out was that like every cup winner either had drafted their own goalie or like the Ducks with Shiger had gotten him so early that, you know, they might as well have drafted him. But now, you know, you look at the finals, the playoffs. Yeah, it's a bunch of goalies who have moved. Is that? Well, except, yeah, as you say, except in this year's Stanley Cup, did neither one. They were both. Uh, right. Uh, you know, one was a free agent. Bobrovsky, I believe, was a free agent. And uh, Hill was a fourth round. I think they. I think Vegas got Hill for a fourth round draft. But is that is that a is that a well, is that a new thing because the cap space shortens the timelines on teams developing players? Of course, it's a. It, I mean, cap space for sure. Um, you know, contracts. I mean, if you draft a positional player, um, they 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 get there sooner. So you know, a goaltender. If you draft a goaltender and you're lucky enough that he's a five year, you know, goaltender. Before, your five years of development, he turns pro in his sixth year. Um, he's, he could be two contracts in. Uh, you know, now you got Arbrights to worry about. So, you know, cap it. Yeah, it's the reality of it's the reality of everything. It's the reality of they take a little longer to develop. So sometimes you don't realize what you have. Um, you know, case in point, Hill. I'm certain if they could do the deal over, they would trade Hill for more than a first round, a fourth round pick. Um, so you so you have that. You're trading guys before. You know, you, you make, you're forced to make a decision on a positional player before he's a finished product or before he's even approaching that finished product. And then you're right. You got cap constraints. Um, now you're going to, you're going to allocate that kind of money to a goalie and in that position, you know, that age, that demographic. Yeah. A lot of it plays into it. It's just, 
you know, it's, I mean, that's if you make the right choice. Now factor in that the percentages for goalies in, in drafting are far below positional players. So now factor in that. Um, factor in the fact that you go to a strictly supply and demand model, uh, economic model, you've got to pay higher to get something that's rarer. So now goalies are going even higher than they should sometimes. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough market. And then you, you know, as I said, then you draft them and you sit back and wait. And you're right. You six months, like, Hey, the LA Kings plugged their one organizational need. They got so-and-so and it could have been a good pick. And he, does he turn out? You know what I mean? Listen, I, I, we were very confident with Wallstat. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, I, I think there's been a couple of interviews, uh, between Blake, uh, Rob, uh, Blake and myself and, and maybe even Billy. I can't remember, but, um, after we drafted Grant, um, we just started offering, you know, kitchen sink, you know, just all the draft picks for the rest of the draft. Nope. Can't even get a guy on the phone. Nope. 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 Uh, all our draft picks and then this B level prospect. Nope. All our draft picks and this A level prospect. Nope. Like we exhausted, I think we called, uh, I think we called nine teams or eight teams, um, because we were fairly certain that he was going to be, um, you know, there's some certainty with that. So, other than that, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's a guy this certain. I don't see a guy this certain in this year's draft. There's certainly high level talent, but uh, you know, to go back for a wall stat, um, you have to go back a couple of years before you find someone that you'd feel that certain about. I mean, there've been guys in the past, obviously Rask, Carey Price, uh, to a lesser degree Vasilevsky, but then you get Spencer Knight and uh, and Askarov, that guys felt you know unanimous consensus uh, among you know hockey people, non hockey people, those. Those type of guys, you'd certainly, I would, uh, I would throw away the opportunity cost and the analytics for, if if we thought there was someone like that in this year's draft, yeah, certainly. Um, then 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 a position might trump it, but it would have to be someone like that. Last question. The on only this player. Subject. Sorry, uh, Zach, I'm gonna <laughs> jump in. Sorry. I just had a quick observation. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. The only player that breaks the model is Freddie Anderson. He came full <laughs> circle for Carolina. Right. It's Drafted. Yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't yeah. that funny? He finally came around. That's awesome. I didn't even think about that. Uh, Mark, feel free to not answer this, but if Brant Clark had not been available at eight in his draft year, would Wallstead have, have taken? Been... We would have taken Wallstead. All right. So was, that's, vindi- that's vindication one, for was, anybody listening. Yeah. There's one other. Don't. There's, there was one other player that we had valued in the same level, the same whatever. Uh, I think some of these uh, publications used tiers or something or whatever. Uh, there was one other player that that had similar value in terms of that. But um, the goaltending there. So once once you have players of similar value, now you can you can use anything. If you say that two players are are similar or identical value, you take the guy who's got blue eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, with that, I can tell without telling you the other players, the goaltending position would have trumped the other position. So let's talk about Quentin Byfield because he's a young player who, as Zach and I have had this conversation a dozen times now, but. I'm fond of phrasing it like this. The detractors and the supporters of Quentin Byfield both say the exact same bundle of words. They just put them in different order and put different emphasis on it. So those who are supporting Quentin Byfield say, listen, yeah, he's not scoring very much, but he's, you know, boosting the play of the first line. He's picking up assists. He's learning the the defensive side. He's winning board battles. He's generating offense. He's developing into exactly the kind of player that they want him to be. And the detractors will say, yeah, fine. He's winning board battles and he's boosting play and he's getting assists, but he's not scoring enough. 
it's the exact same words, but just with a different spin on it. And so then the debate comes up. Well, the Kings always expected him to be a project. I'm not even necessarily sure what the word project means, but people say it. Um, so from a scouting department, is Quentin Byfield developing into the player that you anticipated that he would? Yeah. Is he developing the player that, yeah, all signs point to Quentin Byfield developing into the player that the Kings organization thought he would. Um, there's your easy, succinct answer. Yes. Now, um, in my opinion, he's behind where we thought he would be. Um, now, COVID messed everything up. And, you know, you. this is the funny thing, right? You could say that's a good or a bad thing because um, you got to play in the American League. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I thought I had that COVID, you know, I, I thought we had that COVID thing figured out pretty well. And we're still learning things two years post that you know, COVID crushed the Ontario kids. And we figured, okay, it's going to take him three to four months to, to catch back up. Oh, geez, we were wrong. It's really crushed him. It's going to take him six months to a year. Some of the guys never recovered. Um, so, uh, like, like, Hugh's a unique draft pick. He's a unique prospect. Uh, here, you, you, for all the analytics people, go back and find a analytics match for a guy who has Clinton's attributes, his size, his scoring, you know, in those leagues, they just, they just aren't any. Um, so the quite, you know, would he have been better off going back to junior that first year? Oh, it wasn't an option. Um, then he gets hurt twice, not once, but twice. And the, I saw almost for the bad thing about him getting hurt each time, um, is he got hurt at the exact wrong time. Anybody who was watching it, the first time he got hurt, it looked like he was finally getting it with NHL pace wise. It looked like he was there. Um, you know, it was early in the season. He had full, you know, full summer of training. Everything was good. Um, and then he gets hurt. And then, you know, as I said, for someone, it, the word projects is a terrible word. Um, if you're drafting a project, you shouldn't be drafting them. And I don't think you should draft a project in the seventh round. Now, if you're drafting a guy who needs extra time, that doesn't a project for me, uh, means something has to be, there's something wrong. Something has to be fixed. So maybe my definition isn't the right one. Um, but yeah, everybody who really wanted Quentin Byfield or didn't want him, everybody knew he was going to take longer. Um, so as I said, I think Quentin's, I think Quentin's showing the signs of turning into exactly what people want him to be. I think he's behind the projected timeline. Uh, I think those two injuries hurt him in terms of, uh, development. And I think they especially hurt. A guy like you know, they would hurt a guy like Raymond or Perfetti a whole lot less. You know, they they hurt. You know, they would hurt. Um, you know, they would have hurt a. Uh, they would hurt. An, I know he's a defenseman, but they would have hurt an Edvinson a whole lot more than they would have hurt a Clark. Um, they would have hurt. You know, Byfield a whole lot more than a Stutzel. Um, because Byfield had. You know, like the funny thing is, you look at him now, he still doesn't look like a man. Like he's a giant on the ice, but. You know, you look at him in the, in the, in the weight room and you look at him doing some of these tests and you see some of the improvements he's made and you know, geez, he's not even close. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's, it's hard for me to say exactly how far behind he is in this projected timeline, but, um, in terms of his ultimate potential or what we hoped he would be, um, he's still perfectly on track for that. Yank, that, I feel like that leads into my next question really well. I saw a stat today. It said most points by a player who is 6'5", 
or higher, 220 or higher. Tage Thompson is the top name on that list. A couple other guys, and there's Quinton Byfield. And the second stat says their point totals in their under 21 seasons. And Quinton Byfield obviously is the same total. Tage Thompson had 12. The other guys all had zero. Is it fair to say that those comparisons that you make are all bigger players versus smaller players, that a guy like Quinton with his size and his weight and his speed might take a little bit longer, and that could be maybe a trade of a guy like that who might just need a little bit more time? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question it would take those guys longer. It, you know, again, I mean, Thompson's never going to play. I mean, look at his stats. Look at look at his first few years. There's no way Tage Thompson's going to be any good, is it? Um, as you know, did they did they get uh did they jump the gun on him? You know, did they get 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 frustrated? I don't know. It certainly looks like that to me. Um, but it takes those guys longer. Uh, I mean, here's the fact. You know, Quentin has scored at every level he's played. I mean, every level. I mean, go back to Go back to his 14-year-old year. He had 50 goals, 45 goals in 50 goals. You know, he's at 50 goals or 40, 40 in the, in the 40s all the time. You know, his draft year, he only played 45 games. He had 30 goals. I mean, a goal every, every that's a pretty good league. Um, so, you know, this isn't someone who's. I mean, this come this is someone who has a history of scoring, and guys who have a history of scoring tend to score. Um, Guys who don't have a history of scoring tend not to score. So, as I said, if he scored when he was a 14-year-old, he scored when he was a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, he had great numbers in the American League when he got sent down after the uh, after the second injury. Um, I can't remember what it was, but I, I, he was over a point a game uh, after that one. I mean, that's in the American League, and people forget he's still 20. Uh, he's still he would be one of I think he would be one of the five or seven youngest players in the American League this year. So uh, this is a guy who scores everywhere he is. I don't know why you wouldn't think he would score at the next level, which is the NHL. Um, he hasn't done it yet. And again, he has to be better, no question. Uh, but well, he's still on the, you know, he's still on the young end of his development curve, and he's still on the young end of his development curve physically and in terms of games played. I mean, missing those games played, you can't you can't factor it in. I mean. It's a much different situation with Gabe. They're built differently. Their game's differently. But the games Gabe made, look at how long it took for him to get back. Um, now, Gabe missed more games. And, and there was, as I said, it's not quite an apples to apples comparison. But, I mean, draw some parallels there. I mean, you know, you know uh, the people that loved Gabe said exactly what you're saying now. And the people that didn't like him said exactly what the, the, the detractors say now. Um, and I said, not quite apples to apples, but as I said, I think Quinton's on track to be the player, uh, that the Kings envision him to be. I do think he's behind the pace and I think he will, um, you know, obviously you hope that something similar to Gabe happens where, you know, every year a guy explodes, right? I mean, you see it every year, a guy you're not expecting to explodes. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's, you know, hopefully it's all the guys, but, you know, hopefully it's Byfield and, you know, the kid works like a dog. He trains with Gary Roberts. Uh, you don't have to really worry about him not doing the work. So I think there's a high level of confidence. At least at least in the organization, there's a high, high level of confidence. In the past, you've talked about the importance of being, uh, I, I, did you use the phrase being on the bleeding edge of, of everything? You know, making sure that. I, 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 I don't know what exactly, but I think it's, yeah, I think, uh, 
if you don't try to be on the front line, you know, the, the, the you got to be ahead of the curve. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to know where the technology is or the new tech or whatever. Um, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a Blackberry guy right now. So I want to dive into that because it's very easy. And, you know, I'm, I love to be a critic of everything, right? If, you know, the meals I eat, the food I, or the TV I watch, the hockey teams I follow. Um, it's really easy to say, oh, well, they're not doing enough or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's not good enough. It's not interesting enough. It's not cutting edge enough, whatever. But then as soon as somebody tries something new, you don't have the track record, right? You can't look back and say, well, this is how it's always been done. And so we don't know if, you know, a a hockey team, for example, is trying something new. We have no track record to to run it against. There are no analytics to compare it to, right? If somebody's trying something new. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bunch of young players and you have a, a new front office staff, it's not new at this point, but you know, you guys have been together for a handful of years. Mm-hmm. When there are moments, whether it's internal or external, when questions come up of if you're trying something new, well, how, you know, is there any evidence that it's worked in the past? <laughs> you know, or if there's ever that fear of like, well, there's nobody's ever done it like this before. How do you quiet that? that uncertainty how do you move past that i mean there are a couple ways i mean the only way to truly quiet it is to do it you know and you know you're gonna get as i said i don't want to compare what we're doing to what edison did or what the wright brothers did i mean those guys are geniuses uh but i mean if you draw some parallels you know we're trying to do new stuff we're trying to create new math we're trying to uh you know, new applications of even old ideas. If you, if you just want to break it down to caveman stuff. Uh, but the only way to quiet doubters is to win. Um, you know, uh, like we got 104 points this year um, doing the things the way we thought they should be done, doing some things. Again, we did a retool, not a rebuild. That's not something that's done a whole lot. Um, and it's dangerous. Um, but I mean, we should be two years behind where we were. We should be trading favor next year, not last year. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, you look at that and you're like, damn, it worked, you know, on the surface, but then you're like, oh, you lose in the first round. It didn't, didn't work. Um, so you look for little victories. I think, um, you look for small scale victories. You know, the fact of the matter is we're two years ahead of where even the most generous, predictions of us would have been uh going into this year if i told uh people we were going to have 104 points um we we're going to be one point out of not the specifically the the whole conference speed uh with two and a half weeks or two weeks left in the season before we had four guys injured um people would have thought i was crazy i would have been you know and if it happened i probably would have burned as a witch um so you know things like that say that things like that tell me we're pointed in the right direction they don't necessarily tell me we got it figured out they tell me we're pointing in the right direction. When you go down further and break it down, like some, like, you know, I, I, I'd be honest. I got guys in the staff uh, in front of me and behind me that, that snap me back and, and right. And, and, and it's good. It's like a governor. Um, I can go a little too wild um, with some of the things, some of the, the new things, some of the, you know, and, and it's very good to have voices of reason, which we, we do. We have uh, two or three voices of reason that I that I take to heart. Like, okay, we're going a little too far to the analytic side or a little too far to this non-traditional side or whatever. Um, but the other thing is we don't just implement things right off the bat. Uh, we come up with, you know, whether, whether it's an analytic or whatever, 
um, hey, this sounds like it's promising. Okay, show me some data. Okay, we don't have data going forward, but but, but this data looks sound. It looks like it's well thought out. It's well reasoned. It passes the smell test, uh, which is important. Um, and you know what? Let's beta test it. Let's try it on a small scale with one or two people in the organization. Now, let's try it at a, a certain level of player, a certain level of a free agent signing, a certain level of a draft pick. You know, so, you know, you get from the, you get from the, the, the you know, the hypothesis state, the idea stage, the hypothesis to the, you know, to the beta testing. And then just like, you know, you open it up to more large scale testing. Uh, and then you find out, hey, it's not working or geez, it's working. And that's not quite the way we thought. Um, uh, we have a, a thing we use. We, it was like penicillin. Um, this goes way back to Dean. Uh, before we had analytics, we were trying to develop some of our own. And, uh, you know, two guys who aren't with the organization, I'll give them credit, uh, Nick Bobroff, Michael Connell, and myself, um, were, were, were experimenting with something uh, to solve a question that Dean a- asked us specifically to solve. And it took us about a year, year and a half to come up with it. And uh, it didn't solve the question he asked. Not even close, and I'm talking, I'm talking hundreds of hours of uh of of, uh, of work of of effort into this model, and uh, we're sitting down there, and it didn't do any of the things we wanted to do except it did something we never intended it to do that is one of the leading things we use now, now without getting into the specifics of it. So um, we we tried to solve a problem. Uh, and we just through the benefit of penicillin, it solved a different problem. And it's, and it's said, and it's something that we've now tweaked since, uh, for the last six, seven years, we've been tweaking it to get into the form it's in now. So it's, it's also a never ending thing. Um, so, uh, you know, that's it being on the forefront. Um, you know, you, you want to be on the forefront of ideas. You want to be on the forefront of creative thinking. You want to be on the forefront. You, you want to be on the forefront of being open minded, growth minded, whatever, however, however you want to define it. Um, and then you want to have the, you know, you want to have the bravery or the audacity to, to dare to try to, to do it, to, to try to implement, to try to make something, uh, that's never been done work. And then you want to have the intelligence not to friggin' talk about it because, <laughs> um, I have found, um, one of, one of a few things. You were either on the forefront of analytics and you truly are or the forefront of a new way of thinking or the forefront of new ideas and you talk about it. In which case, intelligent people that listen are able to discern what you're doing and catch up. Or you're doing stuff that everybody's doing right now. And that's fine. And that's great. You think it's, you think it's good and you know, but it's tech, it's not near what you think it is. Or you're doing nothing that's important. And the guys that are intelligent know, Oh, we don't have to worry about these guys. These guys aren't doing anything we're doing. So you either look stupid. Because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, or you look stupid because you're giving it away. I want to switch gears a little bit to something that, that stuck out about what you said with last year's draft class. And I might be misquoting you, but I think it was something along the lines of a lot of the picks had longer term timelines rather than those short transition curves, like a Kirsanoff. I remember you mentioned he yep. was a short timeline. Guys like Hughes. You mean our picks? So our picks. Our, the draft our picks I, I, last yep. year, your yep. Hughes, Sparks, Lawrence had longer timelines to kind of get to that end product. When you look at uh, yeah. the yeah. guys who were picked in 21 and 20 and 19, going from prospect to AHL regulars or NHL regulars, starting to become more of who they were drafted to be, how much does that impact 
the players you're looking at this year when you say, okay, which guys that we picked that were thought of maybe as prospects last year or two years ago, now they're not prospects anymore. They're NHL players or they're gone from the organization. How much does that factor in with the type of guy you're looking at right now? Well, I mean, it certainly factors in. I mean, uh, you know, those who those who don't study the past are doomed to repeat it. Um, you know, as I said, I've I, I, been pretty frank in our successes and our failures in the, in the past. Uh, I think we've learned quite a bit. I I don't think we've made a lot of the same mistakes twice. Um, so again, you look at as I said, you look at. Uh, I don't want to give. I don't. I don't like to talk critically of players that we drafted, and you know, and say, you know, they didn't make it, and then and kind of poo-poo all over them and stuff like that. Um, but no, you you look at some of the guys. We're a slow burn organization, first of all. Um, you know, we 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 have been for. For 15 years, um, uh, you know the, the the development philosophy is 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 a longer process in terms of our thing, uh, where you see other teams putting uh, guys in right off the bat, uh, guys in first line roles. They don't, you know, minus 50, minus 60 doesn't matter. They're going over the boards. Um, we we have, you know our approach is different, uh, right or wrong. Um, it's different. So you see some of the guys like Bogomol or or you know Kaliev or Spence, uh, you know, guys that could probably be in the or be in the NHL. Certainly, would be in the NHL and other organizations, and probably even good enough to play for ours. Um, are taken more slowly. I mean, uh, you go all the way back to Voinov. I mean, Voinov was good enough to play in our organization. The the thirty seconds after we drafted him, he could have put his skates on and played for us. It was good enough. You know, he doesn't get into the organization for two and a half years. Um, I think Todd has said this. It's not necessarily when they're ready. Um, it's, it's also factors in when we're ready for them. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys, a slow burn, um, which is good because you, you see some of the, you can see some of the mistakes that are happening, um, over time rather than, oh, we just jammed them in the lineup. It didn't work. So, you know, we're fully cognizant of that. You see some of the guys that, that didn't quite make it or, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a guy, maybe a later guy, because it's not as it's not as critical uh, on the player. Um, but uh, you look at a guy. Well, you know, I go back all the way to Dean's draft, like back to Dean, because it's easier to talk about guys. Their careers are over. But um, you draft a guy like Pelich in the sixth round. This is going. I'm going way back. You know, these are fans. Um, you know, compete. Ha- uh, you know, off the charts and tangibles. Um, you know, really. Really excelled, you know, Matt Fillier, uh, Pelich, um, and we were drafting some of those guys in the, in the later rounds and they didn't quite have another asset. You know, they had those, they had those, those things that drew you to them. It's easy to love a guy who competes. It's easy, it's easy to love a guy who lays down in front of a shot face first or, or steps in for a teammate. And those guys had it as good as, those guys had it as good as if, or if not better than Wayne Simmons. Um, but Wayne Simmons had two other assets. Obviously, we took him earlier. But um, one of the things we learned, if you're going to take a compete first guy, if you're going to take an intangibles first guy, uh, they have to have something other than those intangibles. You know, they have to have a, a, a skating grade or a, a hockey sense grade or a, or a skill based grade. So um, with some of those prospects, as you watch them mature um, and not succeed, uh, you learn, you know, you, you learn. Okay, you got to tweak it. You can't. You can't just focus on these two attributes, or 
if they have these two attributes, they ha- can't have other attributes below a number or, you know, or they have to be above a certain number. So um, we do the same thing with the prospects now. If we're not learning from it, um, we should be doing something else. One quick clarification. You're talking about Michael Pellick? Pellich, how are we pronouncing? No, not not yeah. Believe me, I'd love to have Adam. I'd love to have Adam in defense. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him a mistake at all. And, and again, uh, Michael Pellich was a mistake. He just he didn't turn out. I mean, he's a six round pick. The likelihood, right. I think he was a six round pick. The likelihood of him turning out is extraordinarily slim. But um, in our, as I said, if you look back, uh, looking back at similar players like him, they turn out even less than than the draft spot. So that's something we've learned. So this came up in my mind as you were talking about players needing secondary skills, you know, whether it's a skating grade or a shooting grade. In our conversations with Jim Fox over the years, we've talked about the evolution of the equipment. So, for example, sticks used to be wooden sticks. Now they're carbon microfiber or whatever. And they have so much flex on them that guys are able to excel at shooting by virtue of being able to manipulate the technology less than necessarily being a quality shooter the way they used to be, whatever, 40, 50 years ago. But that sort of stuff costs money. And I imagine that different guys all over the world have different access to things like skates, sticks, equipment. So when you're scouting 17, 16, 18-year-olds who are playing in the top programs in, you know, Canadian major junior hockey versus guys that are, you know, out in Europe or, you know, what is, uh, who came from Alabama? Was it Dowd? Um, yeah, Nick. Nick. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine Nick Dowd probably didn't have the same, you know, uh, resources available to him as a guy coming up through, like, say, the Guelph Storm or the London Knights or something. So how much of a, how much weight is given to that sort of thing when you're scouting these kids? I think it's much less technology, um, because you know, again, don't quote me wrong. I'd be hard pressed to think of a guy who didn't have the right skates or the right stick with the right composite. Um, you know, whether a team gets it for them, a booster or, you know, the parents, if, you know, we're talking about less, less advantaged uh, people, uh, the parents get them for people. The guys that are playing are getting the equipment they need. However, where it comes in is off ice stuff, access to a skating coach, access to private ice time, access to extra ice time, access to uh weight, you know, the, the right gym, like, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, there's like everyone loved to work out with Gary Roberts, but it's a whole lot easier to work out with, at Planet Fitness than with, you know, with Gary Roberts. So, um, I think, I think that impacts it more. And then the fact is some of these kids have jobs, but it's rare. Like when you find a kid who has a summer job in the top 100, top 120, it's rare. So now the kid's got to work just to be, you know, and now he's missing training time because there are other guys not working, you know, a uh, GTHL kid. For the most part, uh, I don't want to generalize, but it's 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 the easiest one to go to because it's it it does have the most money pumped into it. Um, you know, they have they have a lot of advantages um, when it comes to not playing on the team. You know, all those other things, and and that's where money that's where the money or or yeah, technology secondary would come in. You know, and probably where it comes in the worst the worst for us is we might not necessarily be getting the best players. Um, it's expensive to play hockey. So you're cutting out, I mean, just on an economic standpoint, you might be cutting out 85%. I don't know. You might be cutting out 85% of the, of the numbers. And if you could pull from a pool of 85% more people, I'm going to go out on a limb and you're going to be able to pull out 85, you know, you're going to find some smarter guys 
some more athletic guys, uh, some guys who are both, uh, some bigger guys, some smaller guys that can play really well. Like you're just you're just losing out just by sheer numbers. You're losing out on, you know, on higher uh, on higher levels of athletes. All right, Zach. Unless you've got anything to f- follow up with there, I think uh, I think we're going to call it. Oh, actually, I have one last non-hockey related I'm, question for I you. Said I'm I'm free. Whatever you, uh, I, I'm I'm at your disposal tonight. Have you ever okay, watched I'm, the Orville? I have watched the Orville. Um, uh, thoughts on the Orville? You know what? I, I was I was I'm not a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. Like, I, all right, everybody loves Family Guy. I didn't quite get Family Guy. Um, I thought it was mean. Um, I, don't get me wrong; it was funny in certain spots, but. I thought it was mean. It's mean. It's than, very mean. You, know, <laughs> you don't got to apologize for that. I'm not a huge fan of mean. Um, you know, unless I'm going to see John Wick, I don't want to see mean. But <laughs> uh, but as I said, people know I like Star Trek, especially Next Generation. I like Star Wars. I like science fiction stuff. Um, and I can say what I want if I don't love McFarlane. He's intelligent. He's super intelligent. You know, um, and he's. I was had I had high hopes for it. I'm like, oh, this could be really cool. Like, you know, like a really irreverent, a really alternative take on this where um, where where I thought they would – I thought they'd be serious enough that they would, you know, wouldn't just lose everybody. But I thought they'd be uh, biting enough. That's Maybe that's where – because it's more of an adult thing. That's where some of the, the biting humor and stuff I thought would come in. But I, I, I thought they got lost in the middle. You know, it's I just tried, a remake of Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. You know, and it's it's and it's kind of blended in with uh, what was the one with Alan Rickman in it? Uh, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy, I, that was going to be my next question: was if you like Star but, Wars so much, how does well, it compare to Galaxy Quest? Well, it's, it, it took like the like, again Galaxy Quest for me was like here's an yeah yeah you know, Eddie film critic. Um, Galaxy Quest had some really fun, cool things in it that I liked, but it was really flawed. For me, I thought the Orville took a lot of the flawed things from Galaxy Quest and left out some of the some of the some some of the you know some of the. Eh, it's not. Okay. It's okay to be wholesome once in a while, you know. I, I don't. It just missed the mark for me. And every once in a while, I'll grab it on. Uh, you know, when I'm when I'm done with my video or I'm done with my hockey stuff, and I'm going down a YouTube hole, uh, I'll get six or eight shorts of uh, of 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 the Orville, and I'm like, oh, I got to give it another try. And then I get an episode, and then I'm like, no, it's not for me. <laughs> well. I disagree about uh, Galaxy Quest having flaws. I think that's a perfect movie, but that's a conversation for great. another I, day. I, I like it. It's just the, the things that didn't work for Galaxy Quest seem to be the things that the Orville grabbed. That's for me. All right. Well, we'll get into it later. Zach, thanks for joining awesome. us. And Yank, thanks, thanks for, for joining us. us. And uh, thanks All for right, listening, guys. King Fence. I'll talk to you guys.